welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. My name is John Lyons. I'm a filmmaker, teaching artist, and the director of programming for the Film Society. And I'm Erica Berlin. I'm the executive director of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania. And today, our guest is J.J. Hodges. He is the host of the podcast, Four Comic Junkies. Welcome to you, J.J. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm very excited for today's topic. Second time here. Thank you. I mean, you didn't hate your time last time, so... No, not uh, not at all. No, uh, uh, that uh, that was a, that was a blast, actually, that that conversation well we'll make sure and keep this conversation brill as well can't wait to get into it absolutely and so our topic today is the batman the batman so this is a new film uh and it is about what would you say this movie's about jj in case people aren't familiar with the character let's see let's put it in some layman's terms it's about a young man seeking uh vengeance vengeance for the uh the murder of his parents and unwittingly starts a uh crime spree in uh in his home city of Gotham which Erica told us uh, before we were recording she broke it to JJ and I that Gotham is not a real place but i think there is a city in turkey called batman if i'm not mistaken i think it's two t's but it's like in turkey or istanbul or something like that Okay. So at least there's that. It's not a real place. Therefore, Batman doesn't exist, and this is all a fake universe. Now, I'm told mm. that that DC is made up. Now, is that correct? Washington, DC, or Detective Comics? Detective Comics is not They're real. real. This is not true crime we're talking about. Uh, We're not talking true crime. We are talking untrue crime. And this is popular? I don't know. Because I hear true crime is really popular, but I I don't (laughs) know about this untrue crime. I mean, the, the movie made, you know, within like within a month made $750 million. So there's some popularity to it. And I think. I think of the DC movies, it's the most, it's domestically the highest grossing of, uh, of the more recent films, if I remember that correctly, but, uh, which is pretty cool. You know, people, people seem to dig this, uh, this Batman guy. I think we've talked about this before on your podcast. Why do you think this character in particular has such a following? And then Erica, I'm curious if there's anything about this character that is attractive to you. You know, the the funny thing to me is that a lot of people say because he's human, that's what makes him so relatable or so popular. And I don't think that's the case, at least to me personally. It's more about the drive and the tenacity and the conviction that the character has that I think is far more interesting than just saying, oh, well, you know, he's human, he's flawed, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, but I can name six or seven other characters that are described that way that have superpowers whereas with batman the especially nowadays when i think people talk a lot about trauma i think it's interesting to point out here's a character that went through trauma and uses that as a way to bring justice into the world to do good which i think is far more relatable than just saying oh he's he's a person like you or me it's like well if that were the case then batman would be you know have a beer gut and, (laughs) 
you know, be late on his taxes, assuming billionaires pay their taxes. But, you know, I, I think it's more interesting to say, you know, he's he has trauma that he's coping with yeah. and trying to yeah. make sense of. I think that's far more interesting. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that you brought that up because that really stood out to me, too, specifically. Yes, of course, he is a human, right? Mm -hmm. Although a lot of the time when I was watching it, I kept thinking he is boy he really stood out to me as like an adolescent a teenager he didn't really behave like a man yet and mike said to me well this is year two of batman that really stood out yeah he didn't beha behave like a man yet he was dark and moody i mean he looked like an anime character he looked like a teenager he didn't come across as someone who had fully figured out who he is yet. The person that he identified with the most was the boy who lost his parents. And I I I know that in many cases in the in the adap adaptations and in, in the films that I've seen, he does. There's always a moment where he kind of sees like, there's myself as a boy. I'm thinking back. I'm I have a memory of myself as a boy. But in this case he sees the boy, he sees himself in that boy when when they're at the funeral, the memorial service, actually, and he sees the young boy and he looks back at him and that's the, you know, he saves the child. Mm -hmm. But that's who I, he identifies with because he's still this young man. He doesn't know who he is yet and he's still living in this trauma. I think that's what motivates him a lot. Yes, he's he's this vengeance character right he's out there you know taking vengeance but the vengeance itself is very motivated by the mm -hmm. trauma that's what he calls himself i'm not a hero yet i don't feel like i'm saving people i'm still taking vengeance on the death of my parents because i'm so traumatized by it and then at the end when he has to come to terms with the reality of his father, that's not just black and white. My dad wasn't perfect. He decided to get in bed with a mob boss. Now, whether he ordered a hit or not, which he didn't, but he still decided to get in bed with him. You know, and what does he think is going to happen? You know, he realized there's these shades of gray. Yeah. Then he had to kind of move on from that trauma and, I don't know, I guess become a man through that. I don't know. That's how I saw it. But I totally agree with you that this vengeance is is a reaction to that that trauma. And at that point, he's still a boy. He He's still a, a teenager reacting to that drama. Mm -hmm. Moody, writing in my journal every day. I mean, this is the behavior of a teenager, right? I love the way you, you said all that because it, I hadn't thought of it that way. But it's, it's very true. Um, yes. There's some arrested development, you know, with him where... He, he doesn't want to deal with anything Bruce Wayne related. You know, <laughs> yeah. Alfred says, oh, the accountants from Wayne Enterprises are coming. And he says, no, nah, I don't have time for this. Boring. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> um, and you know, and I just, one of my favorite parts of the movie is, is right at the beginning when he's in the cave and he's looking at the footage that he took from the crime scene and his makeup is just splattered over his face. And I just, I, I just laughed a little bit watching that scene going, he like, he just looks like, yeah, th like this is where I belong in this like little hole right here. And when Alfred's like, you need to come upstairs, he just 
you know, he's just like, no, like I, I'm good right where I am to the point where most of the movie, you know, he's, and this is the first time it's happened really in a Batman movie. He's Batman majority of the movie. He doesn't feel the need to be Bruce Wayne. And the only reason he shows himself, he's not comfortable. Right. Right. And, and the only reason he shows up as Bruce Wayne to the mayor's uh, memorial isn't because he wants to pay his respects because he thinks he's going to find the Riddler there, which, you know, he kind of does, but that's a whole other <laughs> uh, side of the story. But, you know, so he, he can't be bothered with the Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. stuff. Like he's, yeah. he's Batman first and foremost, which I found to be very interesting. Yeah. I, I really liked in this one, the story arc of the character that you kind of threaded out there, Erica. I think I told you this before JJ, like I do feel that his story is always handled the most adult of other comic stories. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they are geared toward young people, but I think more than than anything that that darkness and that damage makes him a little more adult oriented than, you know, some of the glossy superpowers, no stakes kind of critiques that I usually have of costumed heroes. I, I don't ever feel like anyone is in any jeopardy. It doesn't feel like it's shot at ground level, you know, when people are flying around throwing each other out of, off of buildings and into buildings and it just feels like there's no sense of gravity, no sense of physics. I'm just watching a video game in front of me. Whereas since this is a human, yeah, he has, uh, you know, his tricks and stuff. But the thing that was also really cool was that this was a detective story. It felt like a combination of like Seven and Zodiac, yep. which are two David Fincher films that I particularly love. Yeah. So yeah. The, I would say those those things, and it's really like, JJ, it's about time that they, why have we not had a detective approach to a, a Batman movie until now? Like to Erica's point about DC, you know, detective comics, like this is the root of the character. Why has that always been skipped? Because I, I love seeing that finally. I don't know for sure, other than to say that the, there's there's bits of it in some of the other movies, like like here and there, but for the most part, it's, like I think about like the Dark Knight when he pulls the fingerprint off of the, off the bullet, and it, that to me just seems so like fanciful a little bit. Where, it's like, you know, where are you getting that thumbprint from? A gun that, I don't know. That whole scene is a little strange to me. It's kind of cool, but yeah. I like the idea that in this film he has to, re you know, he's actually with Jim Gordon for a good chunk of it, and they're solving this thing together, and it you know, made it far more interesting than to just say, well, Batman's just going to go find him and beat him up. And that wasn't something I realized till a couple viewings into the movie. Like, he and the Riddler never actually fight, and they only confront each other uh, two times, and both times, technically speaking, there's a screen between them. And that, to me, was, was so interesting that I didn't even realize there wasn't, like, a huge fight with the main villain until, like I said, like, I think my second or third time watching it, I was like, oh, wait... Like they never like trade punches or anything. That's really fascinating. Yeah, Erica, can I can I ask you something? Sure. Because <laughs> there there's definitely an obsession with boys with guys about this character. Why do you think that is? And is there anything in this film like were you a, did you like uh, how the Catwoman character was portrayed? Did were there some entry points from your perspective into this story, or did it feel like the guys guys club? <laughs> in terms of how the Catwoman was was portrayed, I thought that 
as a character, Selena Kyle was probably one of my, not my favorite, but she was doing the best she could as in the role that I, I'm talking about the character um, as of right now, like Selena, mm -hmm. she was probably doing the best she could as a character mm -hmm. um, working in Oz's um, or the Penguins uh, club, if you will. I like that she came in as, you know, a thief and that was what her, where she, where she was coming in as, and she was very, competent at that she walked right up and got into that guy's safe as quickly as you know as anyone else as the <laughs> batman could uh doing his job i give her all the credit in the world because it was kind of a boys club maybe i thought that robert pattinson did a great job in his role so i thought the chemistry between these two was incredible and yeah, yeah like that so she kicked ass now I'm talking about Zoe, in that role, together those two were an amazing pair. Off on her own. I was, I was really sad. I loved the scene of the motorcycles. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, that like, really got me. That I was scene like, oh, that's was such a so good. Ending. Do you know what I thought was going to happen? And then, and then when I thought about it, I was like, of course that wasn't going to happen. What? I thought... The final scene was going to be, here comes Batman uh -huh. on his motorcycle. Mm -hmm. Dude's going to kind of cut her off and be like, why the hell did I not kiss you when I had the chance? Nope. <laughs> Just gets there to the fork in the road. She goes one way and he goes the other mm -hmm. because, and this gets back to what I said before about his trauma and being a young man. Because allegedly you have a teen with teen hormones that on one hand should be like, I'm going to kiss this girl, maybe more, mm -hmm. that a mature adult man would be like, you know, you don't get too many chances in life to be with a beautiful woman like this, so you take them. Like a mature male adult would be like, yes, she wants me, I go for it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But instead, Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, who he is in his mind, is like, I have a job to do and I am sticking to Rooting it. Batman. You know, because he doesn't realize what he's saying no to. He some, somehow thinks that there's plenty of that in the future. Well, guess what? You're, you're not young forever and no, there isn't. Right. I can't believe he didn't do that. But then when I thought about it later, I'm like, yeah, of course he would do that. He's. That's, that's where his mind is right then. He's still in, like, vengeance mode. He still thinks that that's what his life is. I thought she was great. I really, like, little things. I, I took notes, and one of the little things I loved was that, you know, she clearly cut that hat out, and it just had those perfect little peaks mm -hmm. at the <laughs> yes, top. Yeah. I loved that. I cannot believe how much I loved that when I saw it. Mm -hmm. I thought that she had an incredible figure, and she looked beautiful. I mean, the things that women see and love, she clearly trained a lot for her her martial arts moves, and she was incredible doing all of that. I, I loved her. I thought she was she was incredible in her role. I loved that he had the uh, lenses with the recording. Yeah. And I loved the scene where she's walking through the club and he's, you know, look at this person, look at that person. 
and how she was able to kind of act in that role of going over to Gil and talking to the DA and then he's narrating and she just plays a role. And you know that in that role in the club, she can kind of pop in and out of that. But you also got the discomfort of that situation of all the guys staring oh. at her. And you know that oh. it did feel a little like creepy in the right way. Well, it's it felt creepy in the right way. And you just, you know the feeling that women feel that no matter how empowered you are in your role of like, I'm a badass in my leather martial arts, safe cracking uh, life, that immediately you can go into that role of, I'm a waitress in a cock, in a underground mobster cocktail bar and get harassed, stared at, and have to play a role. And in the lives of women, that happens mm -hmm. in your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be that kind of context, but every once in a while, all women end up in that situation. And I don't know. Yeah. It just, you know, it, it, I don't know. I It made me think of that too, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can be as much of a badass as you want, but you end up in those shoes too. I mean, and, and that leads me to my kind of favorite Selena Kyle, which I think a lot of people would identify with, is Batman Returns, which is Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite moments of all time, aside from, you know, she gets pushed out by Max Shrek out the window, lands on her back, kitty cats come over, <laughs> essentially turning her into a cat woman. When she comes home into her apartment, and loses her shit and bashes it to pieces and makes her, you know, in a fury, yeah. morphs and makes herself her Catwoman costume. And she does her little stretch into, like, I've now come alive. <laughs> and that glowing, it used to say, hello there, and now it says hell here on her wall. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the best tableaus I've ever seen in a movie. So, I don't know. That's just really, really going deep on the on the sex symbol side of it. I don't think that Zoe Kravitz's character ever... I mean, it never goes that deep, ever. Except when she's looking mm -hmm. at Robert Pattinson's Batman which is just enough. I wish we could go a little deeper on a on a Catwoman now, like in this kind of world, in this universe take. JJ, what was your thoughts of, and I'm gonna quickly say Eartha Kitt for me is still, that's still my favorite uh, Catwoman <laughs> of all time. Um, but I love Zoe Kravitz. Uh, JJ, what about you? What did, what did you think about um, um, I, Zoe? I, I mean, she's obviously like a, a powerhouse performer anyway. So when the whole cast, I, I wasn't nervous at all, you know, so it's like, oh, they're all going to be great. And but with her, she just she could just steal the movie to the point where it's like, OK, like, yeah, it's cool. Like, because they just announced that they're doing a, a sequel. It's like, well, that's all well and good. But now I kind of want a Catwoman movie, you know, with her in it, you know, because there was the, the Halle Berry movie from, you know, yeah. uh, you know, several years ago, that was literally one of the worst movies ever made. Pretty bad, pretty bad. But, you know, Zoe, what was great about her performance was that her being, you know, in intimidated by 
Falcone or uh, even Batman to an extent, there's a there was a believability to that that she could walk in to the Penguin's office and they he, she gives him the the drugs, he gives her the money or whatever it was, vice versa, and so she's not intimidated by him. The DA, you know, she's kind of flirting with to get information, not intimidated by him. The second she sees Falcone, then it's like she just like shrivels up. And I loved that because there there's there was an honesty to that performance that I don't think we've gotten from this character before. And kind of the same and Bruce was kind of the same way when he's you know, when he goes to see Falcone later, he's sort of he barely speaks. He doesn't he doesn't know who he is, uh, just like she's kind of figuring out who she is. And I and I found both of them together just like electrifying. Like when she wasn't in the movie, I missed her, you know? <laughs> and, and there's like several minutes, I, I'm not sure how long goes by where the Riddler isn't present. You know, they talk about him a lot, but he's not in the movie. And, but I didn't think, Oh, I, you know, I miss, I miss where, you know, like where's Paul Dano at, <laughs> you know, I thought, but I was thinking I kind of miss Catwoman, you know, like when she shows up and steals the money from the drug bust and everything, I was like, what a what a cool way to put all oh good you know they yeah they put all these characters in this scene and it didn't feel forced or contrived or anything like it all felt real which is really hard to do especially when you look at the other batman movies you know i was joking with a friend of mine you know talking about batman and robin where it's like like you know po why would poison ivy and, and mr freeze team up they their goals like conflict each other it's like right. i want the world in ice well i want the world full of plants it's like Let's hang out. okay well it's one or the other <laughs> you know it's uh they're not gonna they ain't gonna work out yeah it's just a hodge hodgepodge right. right like a hodgepodge instead of just like an authentic uh yeah it's just better storytelling. Right, really. right. Mm -hmm. I mean, here, here's a question for, for you both, because, you know, we definitely got the chemistry. There's been some writing recently about these movies being, like, sexless. Um, like, why why haven't we earned, like, this, this is like a, you know, a, a more serious, grounded adult take, like, why don't we get a, a sex scene between uh, these these characters by by now, 2022? Like, why do we just get like little little flirtations and, and kisses? Any any thoughts about that? Are we still like at this blockage of we can show as much violence as we want to teens, but we can't show them like sex between iconic characters? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> well, you're going down a rabbit hole with that. I mean. <laughs> You can't say gay, John. Right. You can't say gay. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that you're really opening up a can of worms with where we are in American society by asking that question. We thoroughly accept violence, but sex is really difficult to talk about. Sex is really, really, you know, hidden on the internet. And kids are, I don't know if you've heard this, um, and I can't give you a statistic and I'm not going to look it up while we're talking, but in general, because sex on the internet and like the amount of pornography that teenagers, um, have access to and how much sex that children and teenagers and young people consume on their own and are becoming numb to, it actually contributes to them not having intimacy in their real lives and i think that that 
kind of is what's contributing to the fact that it's like we don't really need it. I, I don't I don't we I don't say we Sure. like you and I and like people adults. Wouldn't this have been a perfect opportunity? Like, because that chemistry is working and I'm sure it's working for everybody. Isn't this a missed opportunity really for like an... <laughs> but it's just people are not comfortable with sex in America the way they are with violence. I was talking to one of my students and she is this little blonde girl and she's like, I just took the state, you know, fishing game commission test. I can't wait to go buy my gun. I can do a concealed and conceal and carry. I'm moving off campus so I can have an apartment so I can be carrying my gun more often because I can't carry it on campus if I'm living in a dorm. Because she doesn't feel safe, I assume. Because she wants to carry a gun and she doesn't feel safe when she's out of her apartment and out walking around. We are so much more comfortable with violence and guns than we are even talking about sex. I just, I, I have no idea, but I've heard this w with, I've just, you, you hear it all the time. John, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. They just want to make it as baseline acceptable for as young people, as as young as you can go, Yeah. you know, as more people can watch these movies as possible. You said it right at the beginning. This is the most adult character. This is the most adult movie that they've had so far. Why couldn't he have sex? Why couldn't they have sex? Probably because he's still a child. That's how I saw the character. He's still very young
but we're we're some of the Batmans have had nipples. <laughs> but like you know, we've got him doing the voyeur thing, yeah. right? Like perched over the ledge, watching her change and stuff. So we're doing like plenty of like you know low key titillation there. But we we don't want any any payoff. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting. The last one I can remember, JJ, is the Watchmen. The Watchmen's definitely oh, yeah. you know goes for the R rating and has sex scenes and stuff like that. But that is really the exception to the rule, right? I can't really think of anything else in the dark knight rises uh christian bale and marion uh cotillard if i'm saying her name correctly they, they do they don't show it they just kind of you just kind of see the aftermath where they're just lying together oh that's right yeah you do like the somebody's wearing the bed sheet kind of kind yeah of yeah scene or and then right? you know the and that was the joke about you know batman forever is that Nicole Kidman's whole character is basically that she wants to fuck Batman. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, she's just oozing sex the yeah, whole movie. Yeah, she's just she's she's you know hot for Batman until she realizes oh this is actually silly maybe I should be with like an actual man turns out it's Bruce Wayne who is Batman. Spoiler alert. Spoiler uh, the movie is over twenty five years old, which is wild to say, but it is. <laughs> I don't know Bruce Wayne in Batman. I mean Michael Keaton and Kim Basinger. They had, they were pretty good. They were pretty good together. He kind of pulled the ultimate bachelor move where he he had sex with her and then ghosted her. <laughs> and then, you know, and then she even kind of confronts him about it. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm Batman. Yeah, um... that's the other Bruce, the millionaire playboy, which, which it was a nice change, a welcome change that they switched him up here to Kurt Cobain a little, a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Nirvana. Yeah. They threw Nirvana right at the beginning of the movie, and that's when I knew, I'm like, this is this is different. Like, we have an emo Nirvana guy. <laughs> I'm going to love this movie. <laughs> and then I said to Mike, I go, is it raining in every scene here? Yeah. I'm like, am I? <laughs> and then I said, okay, what would happen if David Fincher actually, you know, directed a Batman movie? And I thought of you immediately, John, awesome. because, and exactly what you said, it was like Seven and Zodiac, like, combined. Yeah. And I thought I'd throw mm -hmm. that out there. So, like, what if David Fincher actually directed the Batman? I think the closest we're going to get to, like, yeah, Catwoman Batman directed by Fincher would be, like, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is probably the closest we're, we're getting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... You talk yeah. about the sex in that movie. That was disturbing to me. You know, like yeah. a lot of what happened in that movie was. Um, I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it since it was in the theaters, but it still haunts me to this day. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, I I like the way they portray these characters as just they're all they're all still learning who they are. So you know, this technically wasn't Catwoman. You know, this was barely Batman. It's not even really the Penguin. The Penguin. Right? You know, because he doesn't. You know, we you kind of assume he doesn't like being called the penguin. So he does get a good waddle walk in there when he's all tied up. Yes, he yeah. gets the little waddle. <laughs> that, that was okay. good. Okay, Mike said to me, he goes, you realize who that is. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I told yeah. Dorota, too, like, because Dorota forgot he was in the movie, and I'm like, it's incredible you don't even recognize that's Colin Farrell. And she's like, wait, who? And she's, like, pointing at the... At, um, the detective or something. I'm like, no, not him. <laughs> they, I think what was great about him, and I, I thought about this a lot, it's, and I think with a lot of his more recent work over the past couple of years, 
like even back to like horrible bosses because he's such a, a good looking guy he kind of got trapped in the the handsome leading man action star roles that i think he kind of he was good at but it, there was like sort of a there were diminishing returns with those whereas like now it's like well, he's picking his parts where he gets to be more of a character actor and and he's way better at it because you know, i remember you know there's all these family guy jokes about you know colin farrell just being awful and the worst and and i always thought those were so oh <laughs> well i thought they were i'm a colin farrell stan i i i've always liked colin farrell i, I think. think it was the total recall remake where i was like i think we're done with this guy like he we don't need any more colin that farrell movie was garbage. <laughs> like i yeah, i yeah. didn't i didn't see the movie i just saw the trailers and thought i don't ever want to okay. revisit or visit this movie but but you know having him be like I forget what his character's name was in Horrible Bosses, but that character who's just, you know, despicable but hilarious. And then in this movie where you don't even recognize him to the point where he's getting his own HBO yeah. Max show, which is pretty great. Do you think here, – here's a question, and it is, it's something, again, that Dorota brought up because she's kind of like, what's, what's the point of having Colin Farrell under that much makeup? Like, why wouldn't you just get a good, heavy-set, scarred actor – to play this role because you know a lot of times we're talking about like in films like trans representation like casting authentically and you know other such roles do you think jj because they are doing a series that they will uh then take some of that makeup or a lot of that makeup off and we're going to see like young penguin looking like colin farrell and then something's going to happen over the years or do you think that we're just casting Colin Farrell and then putting him in a ton of makeup just because we can. And that's just the choice. Why Colin Farrell for, for this um, role, do you think? I, I don't know because, uh, I mean, he's not heavier anymore, I don't think. But, like, but Jonah Hill, I guess, read for the part uh, okay. and turned it down for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, I don't. I don't know where you go from Jonah Hill to Colin Farrell. I don't know where the <laughs> where the list is in between there, because I would not have been like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, well, Jonah Hill said no. Is Colin Farrell still available? Like, <laughs> but I I don't know. I think it's a it's a little that representation is still being worked on. I think you know in terms of heavier set people because I'm I'm seeing now which I I think is is interesting. Like, you know, when you have, like, targeted ads on Facebook or whatever, I saw, like, a Hot Topic ad, and the girl was not heavy, but she wasn't mm -hmm. this, like, paper-thin model that you normally see. And and I found that kind of interesting. Like, like oh, okay, like, I can, you know, she has um, some weight to her, not, you know, uh, and, mm -hmm. and even, like, somebody like Lizzo is you know very big on body positivity and yeah everything. i guess i'm just curious but i so i think we're all still working towards that a little bit you know having the 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 right kind of representation and even somebody like zoe kravitz i i think she's bisexual in real life uh and you know that was reflected in in the selena kyle character that that she was bisexual that's i mean that's been in the comics but i thought it was interesting to put that in the movie and it's not very subtle either like I, I picked on picked up on it immediately like like oh okay so this she's with this girl and then you know and then is obsessed with finding her but then still is attracted to Batman because it's you know it's Robert Pattinson who wouldn't be attracted to 
him in a Batman costume. Seriously. But... <laughs> yeah, nothing to belabor, I guess. I'm just, uh, yeah, I think he does great, and I think the character's great. But yeah, you don't even know it's him, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they might be, they're apparently doing a TV spinoff series with him. Yeah. Maybe they are doing a young penguin. And... Then it would totally make sense, yeah. right? Then it mm -hmm. makes sense because you need to show the transformation. TV series are, are over number of years in theory, so you're not going to want him to unhealthily bulk up over and over and over nice. again or whatever. Oi, yeah, that um, would be pretty pretty bad. So, what about the Riddler guys? I was really looking forward to it when they said it was going to be Paul Dano. I I had kind of flashbacks to when Heath Ledger was cast, and I I'm usually it's it's very hard to for me to to be annoyed or go well that's not right i wouldn't have cast him or that's that's not right or whatever i i very rarely do that with these characters and when they started to show what he'd look like you know i i thought okay like as as long as i feel like i'm watching the riddler i'm okay with it and it's obviously very different from what jim carrey did or you know what frank gorshin did you know back in the 60s but it, i but i was still like okay this this character feels like feels like the Riddler, but then there was also this like really scary side of it that felt real. And you know, at the ending in the in the arena, I, I thought about January six. You know, I thought, man, here's this guy that just could. I don't think you know he wasn't trying to manipulate anybody into doing whatever he said, but there was something about that struck a chord with me. Like you know, like oh, this this feels this is hitting close to home in a really uncomfortable way. Not so much that I took me out of the movie, but I did think about that a lot where I was like, man, like this, there's a reality here that is scaring me a little bit. But at the same time, his performance, I thought, man, like it would have been so easy for him to just ham it up and just be like, like a Jim Carrey or a Frank Gorshin, but for him to be very just, when he gets like, when he gets angry, he's angry. And when he's calm, he's, he's just this oddball and i was like this is so interesting it felt different which i think we needed because if we'd had another like jim carrey jumping around it would have been like you know like okay like we've seen this before we're getting an almost real world type of riddler that's very different from what you're used to and one that i i recognized from the comic books so i was very i was very happy with the performance yeah he reminded me visually for sure again of um the Zodiac Killer, like I'm thinking that scene when it's the couple and they're like in the field having a picnic, totally reminded me of that. And he was like, yeah, like he's like an incel, but he's like <laughs> dangerous in a different way. Like I thought it was a good modern twist on a villain. He does feel dangerous in the whole class. Uh, I loved like the class setup of his background and his motivation. What did you What did you think, Erica, about the the villain? When I first saw his face, I couldn't tell if he was wearing glasses or if he had like welding goggles on. I wasn't really sure, and so he was terrifying to me the way he looked. Once his symbol got out there and seeing like the protesters on the side of the street, like with his symbol. I think speaking to what you said, John, like this idea of like his class motivations, having that symbol like mean something to other people touched on this. Like he has this 
vibe that other people are latching onto too. So that if he had remained out there and remained on this path of violence, like January 6th, he would have gained this following and people would have committed violence on his behalf. So there was the, you know, he's talking about guns. I need guns. Where do I get this? Where do I get that? And he had a following online of people like, you can get ammunition here. You can get explosives here. This is how you build guns. I mean, that information is out there. People create social networks around that. There's a whole free speech issue around that exact thing. People are creating social networks so that they can share this kind of information. So I think that I, I mean, I really like how, you know, Matt Reeves, the director, I like that he put that in there. I like, well, I, I actually don't know who the, the, the um, writer was, but that I thought was very cool because that's what made it. it it's, it was, it was him, by the way. It, it was Matt Reeves. He oh, he was too. the writer. Yeah. That I thought was very cool because that made it relevant to today. He had this background. He grew up in the orphanage. You know, he relied on the funding, the renewal program that went by the wayside. It became corrupt, didn't get it. And then he took to the he took to the audience that was there to support him to commit violence on his behalf. That's where it would have kept going and he would have loved it. But instead he had targets and then took it out on the city. Um, and then he turned himself in like Kevin Spacey in seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, I also think that another great thing about the character is, you know, the, you know, when he's committing the violent acts and everything, he is a hundred percent certain that he's doing exactly what Batman is doing. He's like, we're going after the bad guys and Batman, you know, that, that great scene, you know, another great interrogation scene in a Batman movie where, Batman's like, you know, we, we didn't do anything together. You know, you're you're out of your mind. And, and that whole scene, just, you know, it's funny because uh, going into my comic book brain here for a second, there's a, the comic book story, uh, Hush, is really great, where at the end, it's the Riddler and Batman talking, and Batman even says, or the Riddler says, I know who you are, you're Bruce Wayne. And Batman says, but you're not going to tell anybody, because if you tell anybody then you lose the power and riddler kind of can't come back to that he's like i you know i what what if i know the greatest secret in the world the ultimate riddle and if i tell anybody then i'm not the only one who knows it and and i thought that's what they were going to do with the movie like oh like, they got close they here, got close. here it comes the big reveal and i thought it was a I thought it was a, a much more interesting twist for him not to know he was bruce wayne when he straight up says like you know bruce wayne's the only one we didn't get and and that's when Batman, you know, it's funny you say him him being like a child because he was kind of childlike in that scene, uh, Batman, where he's kind of hiding from the cameras, heads down, he's in the shadows, just like, like <laughs> you know, like uh oh, I'm in trouble, you know. <laughs> and then when he realizes that Riddler doesn't know who he is, that's when he kind of you know, quote unquote, gets his power back and can stand up to him. Like what was really great about that was that uh, again, it it felt there was a reality to it, like. That Batman again doesn't understand that there's consequences. If you're gonna put on a cape and go, you know, beat the shit out of everybody, people are the wrong kind of people are gonna notice too, and they're gonna say, "Well, if he can do that, then I can do that too." And I think that that was the great lesson he had to learn by the end of the movie that he can't just be this guy, you know, 
going through the city just beating the shit out of people he needs to be something bigger than that because mm-hmm. otherwise you're gonna how many more riddlers are you gonna create well said mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point do we want to talk a little bit quickly about the non-costumed uh performers and then maybe just kind of overall impressions and and how you feel it stacks up with other entries for this character cinematic entries I'll just say I think Andy Serkis uh, was the most underutilized mm-hmm. character in the film. I, I hope he gets more screen time. And then I love Jeffrey Wright. I thought Absolutely. he was great, grounded, warm. And I thought Totoro um, was, was a good kind of uh, villain as well. He did feel like, like a creep and uh, yeah, like, like the right kind of mobster creep that I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. What did you all think? I'll back up the Totoro. He is such a wide-ranging actor. Yeah. I'm I loved him. Most recently I just loved him on Severance. He was so like lighthearted and and childlike in his role on Severance. And so to see him then come into this role where he was so calm and cold-blooded it's just incredible. So really big fan of John Turturro. Of course, I love Jeffrey Wright because I like to call him the black Mike Berlin. He looks exactly <laughs> like my husband, yes. only black. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and yes, I like his relationship with Batman. I am a little wary of it at this point. Um, It's one of the things that you kind of have to overlook in the Batman movies because it's hard to accept that that relationship would be tolerated. So, but that's why you, you know, that's why it's a DC comic and you just kind of go like, oh, okay, you know, the police force is just like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, he's kind of a rogue guy. Batman can break all of these laws and, you know, Gordon is... It's fine. It's all fine. Yeah, they're kind of, they keep calling him out on it, but then they're kind of like, then he'll be like, hey, come on, guys. I I invited him here. And then they're like, okay, all right. Yeah. And they kind of, how many times can they do that, right? Like, right. And it was a little silly, the the one where he's, you know, when Batman's knocked out after the collar bomber, the pizza bomber. Yeah. And then he's in the police station and they, they, he does the kind of whisper punch and then he (laughs) takes the keys and gets out. That was to me like the most childish probably scene in the whole movie. Yeah. And that's exactly Uh, where it stood out to me, John. I was like, yeah. Okay. It's because I love you. Yeah. It's because I love you, Robert Pattinson. You get me. You get me. Barry Keen, I am so excited for Batman 2 that they just announced because I loved him in The Green Knight and just listening to his little cackle at the end when. He and the Riddler had their little laugh next to each other in the insane asylum. Of course, I know he's coming back as the Joker. I I know that they had a deleted scene in which Ugh. he was seen as the Joker, but I'm happy that they <laughs> deleted it because I don't think we needed to see that. But I'm that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most is is that character. So, yeah, those are my those are my favorite uh, non non costumed characters. JJ. Anything to add? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love Totoro. The monologue he he gives about how Bruce watched him when uh, when his father was saving his life uh, is is right out of Batman: The Long Halloween. 
So I was sitting there just like, like with my head back, just going, Oh, that's so awesome. Like they, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe a, a lesser filmmaker would have like shown that scene. You know what I mean? Like, like above his head or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Oh, here's what it looked like. But Taturo could just deliver that monologue and we were kind of in the moment. And, you know, and Andy Serkis, I think, I, I just kind of laugh when everybody says he's underutilized because I'm like, no, he totally was. But I think it's because I think they were filming Venom 2 at the same time that the Batman was filming, which which, which he directed. So there were practical reasons. Yes, but I, I also think it worked for the story, but... I don't think you can have too much Alfred anyway. So I, so I did miss him when the movie, when he wasn't in the movie. And I was really glad that he didn't die. Cause I was like, if he dies, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> but I liked that their relationship was a little different. They didn't. Yeah. It was a little different. I, I think they missed some of the emotional punch though, JJ of him being in the hospital. And mm-hmm. like, they could have really played that up if they had more time with those characters. And I think it could have been like a, a warmer relationship or at least something to like really build into the arc of um, Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne that I think was kind of a missed opportunity. John, I would agree with you about that. I think that Robert Pattinson, and maybe this, this goes to my overall comment of the film, he was so good as Batman. Overall, missing an emotional feeling at all. That scene with Alfred, he he has just dead eyes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably saw it throughout the movie. Robert Pattinson has dead eyes. He has the darkest brown eyes that you can't see his his cornea. So <laughs> but when you look at his eyes, it's just so flat. And okay, he did a really really great job in the Twilight series because of it. <laughs> But in this, in that scene, and even, you know, Alfred had to reach over to him and, and, you know, Batman or Bruce Wayne had to like look down at his hand first and then reach for it. And it was just, it was hard to watch because you really understood that, that Bruce has a really hard time with intimacy. And so if we're wondering why he couldn't, kiss Selena because he can't he can't be intimate he is so traumatized that he has a really hard time with intimacy yeah, good point it, it, it was fitting with the character in this point in his life so I I thought that uh, that that scene was really great and it reminded me of the the earth one comic books which is like quote-unquote out of continuity with the other Batman books where Alfred is more of a bodyguard slash like, you know, he teaches Bruce how to fight and helps him as Batman, you know, solving some of the crimes as opposed to being, you know, the, the paternal Alfred that we're used to, which like Jeremy Irons was a little bit in the, the Snyder movies. But, you know, it's, it was done you know slightly differently here. But, you know, as far as the other characters like, you know, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright, I just I mean, Jim Gordon was a character that I had zero interest in until Gary Oldman. So when they said, oh, it's going to be Jeffrey Wright, I was very excited, like, oh, we're going to get another Gary Oldman where I'm actually going to care about Jim Gordon. And, and it was a friend of mine that pointed out, like, it's it's just not, I just didn't buy it that the police took him to the headquarters and they didn't, you know, take his mask or belt off. 
And I was like, I, I, you got me there. <laughs> um, they, they would have done that, but the, but the scene in the beginning with Batman in the crime scene, it, it's funny because again, like my comic book brain keeps going. There was a comic called uh, Identity Crisis from several years ago where it's uh, one of the Robins, uh, Tim Drake, his father is murdered and and Batman's at the crime scene, you know, trying to figure out what happened. But in the, the, the guy who killed him was a, a Flash villain named uh, Captain Boomerang. And, you know, it was Jai Courtney in the Suicide Squad movies. Um, in the, it, it's his son that shows up and talks to the, you know, the policeman that's guarding the door. He's like, you know, my father's in there. I want, you know, and the guy's like, hey, you know, we're not letting anybody in here, blah, blah, blah. He's, and he's like, well, you know, what about that? You know, and the policeman's like, what are you talking about? And Batman's right behind him. And he's like, he's like, Batman's in there. And he's like, kid, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you're going to have to get out of here. And I, I thought of that scene where it's like, you know, at that point in Batman's career, he's the police just are like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're here. It's fine. You're going to help us out. Whereas in that scene, they were all <laughs> super weirded out by him. And and I just laughed when Batman would walk around and I was like, oh, he's so like into it. He's looking around. He's trying to figure everything out. And he saw the blood stain that he figured out later was the Tucker and uh, which I call Chekhov's Tucker. Uh, and comes back later in the movie. And I love that they were all kind of like uncomfortable with him there, but they were still like, okay, but what's he looking at? Like, let me take a picture of that he was just looking at. But yeah, it's, uh, you know, but the those characters uh, are, are tough to get right, you know, because, you know, you can have Alfred be too much of a hard ass or have Jim Gordon be too, you know, like in the 66 show, you know, like if Batman's not there, then crime's just going to happen. They're like, well, we don't have Batman, so I don't know what to do. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, there, there has to be a line there. And I liked that, that Jim Gordon felt like part of part of the movie, part of solving the crimes. And even later, I, I love one of my favorite bits was when Batman's getting shot at in the arena and Gordon says, how do I get up there? Like, he's like, I, my friend's in trouble. I want to go help him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, he felt like just as much of a hero as Batman was in that moment. And, you know, and, and like I said, those characters are, are hard to get right. But uh, I was so thrilled with the uh, performances. It just, it blew me away, you know. Awesome. <laughs> well, then how about to wrap up, how do you all think uh, this ranks, like, let's say, with the, the Burton movies and the Schumacher movies and the Nolan and the Zack Snyder? Like, where, where does... Where's this one rank for you generally? JJ, you want to go first as the, as the uh, comic expert? Real quick, I do want to add about Barry Keoghan as the Joker that I'm very excited about that as well. And Erica, I do agree with you that I'm glad it was cut out of the movie because I think it that scene, it almost felt like, like this bonus thing that we got that said, hey, this is part of it. We didn't give it to you in the movie, but here it is. It's part of it. It's part of the world. So that that whole aspect of it, I did a whole podcast episode about it with a friend of mine. As far as ranking goes, I, I put this one really high up. For me, Batman '89 is the that's the touchstone. Like nothing can ever top that, just because of like my childhood and everything. Even though I recognize that the Dark Knight is the better movie, even though having the exact same characters with Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent and, and the Joker, <laughs> yeah, this this one's up there. It's it's uh it's with the Dark Knight and '89 as one of my favorites because. I felt like for as much as people say, oh, do we need another Batman? 
Like for me, it's like, uh, shut the hell up. We could use all the Batman in the world. Um, <laughs> but I, what the movie did, you know, blew me away in the sense that like, oh, this this was something different. This this didn't feel like the Nolan Batman movies. It didn't feel like the Burton Batman movies. Um, it felt so, like something new that I can't wait to see more of. So yeah, it's 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 in the top. Uh, the three of those, you know, they kind of rotate in my head as my favorite. But yeah, that's that's where I put it. That's awesome, Erica. I'm gonna immediately eliminate Schumacher and Snyder because. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Schumacher since they first came out, and I couldn't even tell you if I've seen all of those. I watched the Val Kilmer documentary, and in that I saw clips of his performance and how miserable he was playing Batman, and so I feel absolutely terrible for him, and so I would say not that one, just out of pity. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not the one with George Clooney, obviously, because George Clooney just isn't a Batman. Let's just face it. So Zack Snyder's never saw, I don't know, who was it? Was it Ben Affleck or something? Yeah, it was Affleck, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Ben Affleck doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I gotta say, like, this one's pretty high up there. Um, I do love the Dark Knight series. I love Christian Bale. His voice always kind of got to me, though. His voice was just a little too... <laughs> he worked too hard on that voice. He had to try too hard. And the movies were so good, though. So it's tough. The villains were really good. I also didn't like Bane's voice. So that was hard. But yeah, the voices were tough in The Dark Knights, but I really liked those. But the first Dark Knight was definitely my favorite. I mean, but Batman with Mike, Michael Keaton just like had, yeah, he was like a total bachelor, Bruce Wayne, but he was a very cool Batman. And as a comic book, I'm with you on that. I think it's just like your childhood. It's the first one you see. So it's like stuck there in your mind as this one was really the best. And I watched back Batman Returns recently and was just so entranced by Danny DeVito and watching him eat <laughs> a fish and and just I, I don't know those characters were just in, incredible and you know Christopher Walken as Max Shrek and I don't I, of course and Michelle Pfeiffer as Selena Kyle and Catwoman that was really good I mean, Batman and Batman Returns, those two were really good. So I'd say this one is probably up there pretty high, but Robert Pattinson, as a character, he better grow up <laughs> in the next one. I need to see that character arc for him, and if I do, I'll have a lot of respect for Matt Reeves. Mm -hmm. I think that he's going to go there. I think there's a reason that yeah. year two Batman was the teenager that he was. In this movie. Yeah, I would say I think this feels like kind of the Batman Begins, uh, <laughs> so I assume it's probably going to be the weaker. That's my hope of of Matt Reeves' films. So yeah, I'd probably do Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, then maybe Batman Returns, then maybe this one. I mean, I'm just super impressed that, like JJ said, that they were able to find a new 
little bit of a angle to to work here and still find some some freshness in the character and the visual approach like i'm so impressed by matt reeves he's so like i mean he those apes movies should not have been as good as they were and they were so good and they just kept getting better like he just really surprises me and i really should stop like not paying attention to the guy as much as i should because i mean he's he's got some cojones he keeps going after these like franchises and doing an amazing job so yeah i i feel it's very promising i i liked it a lot uh i really hope that they totally hit out of the park for the next one and to erica your point that the way they ended this one i hope that yeah there's some growth in the character i hope there's some more maturity all the way around to kind of keep this you know even more fresh than maybe the Nolan series. Like maybe you can make this even more adult. Maybe a sex um, scene. <laughs> yeah, maybe a sex scene. I I maybe controversial take, but I thought it did start feeling a little long at the end. I almost would have taken all the Arkham stuff out. Like when Riddler and Joker were talking to each other, I would have maybe made that all as like a little short film, including the deleted scene. Mm. It did feel like it was kind of like, holy fuck, when is this thing going to end? <laughs> but it was cool. Yeah, I like that take. I like that take. I, uh, I just disagree because to me that was <laughs> you, you got to have that in the movie. Although I'm surprised it wasn't done as a post-credit scene. That right. that would have been interesting, but you know that's the choice they made. Uh, the funny thing to me is that there's a behind-the-scenes element that cracks me up about this movie, which is that Matt Reeves is kind of all in in the the Batman world. You know, he's going to be producing, and I think at least maybe not writing, but at least contributing stories to the Penguin show. But there's also an animated series that he and J.J. Abrams are producing uh, with the producers of the original animated series, uh, you know, Bruce Timm. And uh, and I laughed thinking about that. I was like, you know, what's funny is that I, I actually made a TikTok about it. It's like, so J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves, you know, teaming up to tell a story about a young person making a go of it in the big city. You could either say that's Felicity or Batman. And let's see, I guess they did that show together. Um, yeah, he did Felicity, yeah. I found yep. out in my research. Yep. He also, uh -huh. his directorial debut was The Pallbearer with David Schwimmer in it, so. Oh, I've never seen that. Gwyneth huh. Paltrow, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I, I thought a lot about uh, Cloverfield, and you can say whatever you want about Cloverfield, but I, I was listening to, I watched the director's commentary on that, and that I found incredibly interesting, and that's when that guy piqued my interest. I was like, oh, okay, like this guy is, is cool and has a real love of filmmaking. And, and even when he was announced as the, the director for the, the last couple of Apes movies, I was like, I was like, you know, this, I was like, well, that's already an interesting choice. And then I fell in love with those movies. So when they said, oh, Matt Reeves is gonna direct Batman, I was like, I am 100% certain we're gonna get one of the greatest Batman movies ever made and I was not disappointed. Well, that's been our episode. Make sure you follow the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain. Stuff that dreams are made of. <laughs>